Hey everyone, and welcome back to There Was an Idea. In this episode, we are Groot. Friend and educator Rachel Malera and I discuss all things music in Guardians of the Galaxy, and we share some fun mixtape stories of our own. If you'd like to share your favorite music moments from Guardians of the Galaxy, check us out on Instagram at anidea underscore podcast. Thanks for listening. I am TK of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. So today I'm joined by my friend and fellow educator, Rachel Malera. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to talk to you about Guardians of the Galaxy. And why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Tara. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Rachel, and I teach middle school band and music. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you about the music in this film. Um, And I want to thank you for being open to having this conversation with me, Um, even though, as far as I know, you didn't have too much um, history with these Marvel movies. So um, what, what has your relationship been to Marvel, to comics, to superheroes? Well, it's a new relationship. <laughs> uh, I, I've caught pieces um, of various movies here and there, but this was the first time I actually sat down and watched from beginning to end. And how did that go for you? What did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy? I liked it. Um, going in, I didn't know if I would. Yeah. Uh, the superhero comic book genre is not generally my go-to, but I definitely gained a huge appreciation for the story and the characters and even the universe by uh, looking at it through at it all through the lens of music. I might even watch the next Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's also got a pretty, pretty killer soundtrack. And because so typically on the podcast, I don't shy away from spoiling you know, other movies in the MCU. But in this case, I don't want to say anything because I want you to watch the second one at some point. There's, there's a music moment in that movie, the sequel that actually like, maybe more than (laughs) I'll say this, there are sadder, more emotional scenes in this franchise of Marvel superhero movies. But there's a scene in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 that gets more of like a crying reaction out of me just because of the music cue. It's really well, yes, that it's <laughs> to the power of music, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I'm glad that it, it was uh, not uh, not a bad experience for you to watch this movie, especially no, being new to this not. genre. And because, you know, this movie also not only is it in a genre that not everybody is familiar with or not everybody's a fan of, you know, a superhero sci fi space adventure type movie, um, but it's also very self-aware of that genre and making jokes about that genre and like in trying to kind of satirize that genre it's kind of like the most of that genre that ever could be (laughs) does does that make sense i i totally agree it it just it doesn't take itself too seriously 100 percent, exactly so it's one of those movies that if i 
think about aspects of it too hard, like storytelling aspects or things like that, or some of the characters, I start to ask myself, like, is this movie actually good? Right? Like, and of course, what does <laughs> what does good mean? You know, like, it's obviously mm-hmm. all subjective. But I think it's it's one of the movies that for me, when I just allow myself to kind of sit there and look at the visuals, and listen to the music and enjoy the action, I'm having a great time. And I think that's really worth something. And like I said, too, like that use of music can get such an emotional reaction out of you and you're feeling things. And ultimately, right, what does the filmmaker want you to do? They want you to feel something, even if um, some of what you're seeing on screen is kind of like this nonsensical joke, you know? Um, Absolutely. So we're definitely going to talk a lot more about that later. And I'm excited about that. Um, But I'll just share a little bit of context about this movie and its relationship to the larger MCU. This movie was released in 2014, so it came after the movie Captain America The Winter Soldier and before Avengers Age of Ultron. So up to this point, um, this was what they called Phase 2 of the MCU. Phase 2 had not introduced any movies based on new characters at this point. They had done a third Iron Man, a second Thor, a second Captain America... And in terms of the Marvel Comics universe, the Guardians were considered to be very, like, out there, not necessarily a go-to superhero that you would put on the big screen. Uh. So, um, notably, too, this movie um, is the first time the MCU was doing a team-up movie with entirely new characters, right? So the Avengers movies had been super, super successful, but in a way they kind of relied on like, oh, well, you knew these characters from their other movies and now you're coming to see them together. Whereas with this one, we hadn't met any of them before. So it was definitely a little bit of a risk and nobody knew if this movie would be a hit or if they would be able to successfully integrate this world and these characters into their larger franchise. But what's interesting is one of the things that this franchise is known for now is how effective it has been in weaving, um, my friend Megan put it as weaving an interconnected tapestry, and I thought that was really nice, um, of these different movies that have very different tones. And I would argue that Guardians was really the first one of the franchise that did that, that really deviated into a different tone and style. And obviously, we, we can't talk about the movie's tone and style without talking about the music. So that's where <laughs> I was really excited to, to have you for this one. Most of the music in this movie is diegetic, right? Yes. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that means um, and maybe even a little bit the difference between the soundtrack and the score. Well, the use of the diegetic, you know, the mixtape, really, it gives a realness to to the scene and to the characters. I feel like it, it pulls the viewer right into the world of, of the film. I mean, diegesis means narrate, right? So we're literally, you know, we're right there in the world with the characters, whereas um, the non-diegetic scores that you hear in almost every movie, um, a lot of times it's, for the viewers, the score is just kind of hanging out in the background or in our subconscious. It's, Mm. you know, subtly affecting the mood of the scene and the audience's emotions towards whatever's happening. Um, and this film also has that traditional non-diegetic score, and it does those things, but Guardians has a bonus score, this diegetic mixtape that's connecting Will to his roots, to his late mother, to his, you know, his connection to his past and to Earth. 
it's really cool. You get like, you know, it's like two for one. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And it's I found myself the, the most recent rewatch that I did of the movie. Um, in the past, I had been so tuned into the diegetic sound, into the, the pop songs on the soundtrack um, that the characters are interacting with. And this time I actually did try to notice more of the score because as you said, right, the score always acts in such a subtle type of way. And uh -huh. um, I was trying to notice the score. And for me, it was interestingly unlike the songs that were chosen for the mixtape yeah. i feel like it's very on the nose for what it is right it's very straightforward like the dramatic yes, scene i totally agree has the dramatic music the romantic scene has that right um mm -hmm. and i think in sometimes when i notice scores more are where they do something that is a little bit more unexpected yeah so i think it's interesting choice here right that the score was very straightforward um and, and my take not particularly remarkable i don't know if you had any um thoughts on on it yeah it's almost as if those if those two if this the soundtrack and the score were they could be from two completely different movies they don't feel like they go together but then yes. then when you're actually watching the movie and you're seeing it all unfold it, it they do work together really nicely so the director james gunn he said that he chose popular songs as a way to quote ease the audience into the film and he said, quote, we're thrust onto a bunch of strange planets with strange landscapes and the familiarity of the pop songs made it all a little a little more palatable. They simultaneously grounded us and provided a really fun juxtaposition, um, end quote. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's providing the audience with a sense of comfort. I mean, in the first scene, you see a boy lose his mother and then get sucked up into a spaceship with with no explanation it's it's a little unnerving and then right. then come get your love starts playing and you're like oh hey i know that song yeah yeah it's so good right and that always gets me that scene when yeah. like it's exactly as as um the director described right you're in this yeah. weird planet and you don't know what it's called and it's very dark and like, it's bizarre but then the song is so uh, bright and fun and you're like oh, okay I can do this right <laughs> like, right 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 exactly <laughs> here's something I know I'm having a good time um and I remember even seeing this in the theaters and I remember feeling that way like it was a movie that uh I think benefited from a theatrical experience because when you got it on the big screen and the music's extra loud you're like okay I'm in <laughs> yeah and especially you know going back to what you were saying before when you're kind of talking about the the background of the movie we're going viewers are going into this with it's a whole new cast of characters so not it's just all very unfamiliar but then you kind of get that that familiar soundtrack pop songs from the 70s and it kind of puts you at ease a little bit yeah exactly so let's talk a little bit about how the music in this movie does help to tell the story because it it, it definitely does as you were saying and um, what does this music tell us about certain characters' identities and their relationships? Yeah, I mean, you know, some some songs fit in a kind of obvious way, like uh, Moonage Daydream. The the Guardians are approaching nowhere, and you hear Bowie singing about space invaders and ray guns. Mm -hmm. It's on theme, and it it serves as appropriate transitional music between the scenes. But then you have, like we were just talking about, Come and Get Your Love. Then you have that song in the title in the scene after the title sequence 
the lyrics aren't painting a picture for the viewer or anything like that. It's just serving as a, a fun song that's showing Quill's goofy side. Now he's an adult. Right. He's still got his Walkman, but now he's in space and and now they've set the scene and the tone. Yeah, and I, I think, as you said too, right, so it's kind of showing his goofy side, right? It's introducing the character to us. So while the lyrics yeah. may not be related, it does show us, okay, this is how he approaches whatever work it is that he's doing, right? We don't know exactly what he's doing yet when he's going into this, like, abandoned right. cave building and he's, you know, searching right. for something, he's like, right? Yeah, he's, like, kicking space rats and you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So it kind of gives us a little uh, a little hint as to his character and how he is approaching the work that he's doing. And even yeah. even before that one, even when he's a little kid, right? In that mm-hmm. first scene, his, he's listening um, that song, I'm Not In Love, like so dramatic, right? Like so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, the the character, his, his grandpa tells him to take his headphones off, right? And yeah. you can even kind of see from that very first scene that like he's got this connection to this Walkman. And we're, we're wondering like, okay, what is music for Peter? Is it an escape from the reality of what's going around him? Is it a distraction of some kind, his way of coping? Um, uh-huh. And so we can see that right off, right off the, the jump. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's still the same, still the same guy when he's uh, however many years later on this alien planet looking for, you know, whatever he's looking for, which we don't know yet. And uh, and much like in these, <laughs> that's one place too where I feel like this movie does a great job of kind of satirizing the the sci-fi space adventure movie. Right? There's always some type of orb that they're after. <laughs> it's like yep. we're, we're chasing after this orb. We must get the orb. Um, right. And he's got his <laughs> his spa- his rocket shoes on. And exactly. Um, there was another specific moment on this theme that I wanted to get your take on. You know, th- there's some story stuff going on. Peter, Gamora, Rocket, and Groot. We are all introduced to them in their own little ways, and they all essentially get captured on the Nova Co- by the Nova Corps, and they're imprisoned. And uh-huh. when they're trying to escape, the the guard had taken Peter's Walkman. So, right, so in the first. The first scene where we see the guard take the Walkman and the guard starts listening to Hooked on a Feeling, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Peter says, you know, oh, that's Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Suede. And, you know, he names the year and everything. And he says, that song yeah. belongs to me. Yes. And I, I was. Wrote, I noted that too. I have that in my notes also. It's so telling. It's his song. It just. It just shows how desperately he's clung onto that mixtape over the years. He's the only one in his kind of cast of characters. He's bouncing between all these strange planets. This is the only thing that connects him to his mother and the only thing that's truly his. And now this this guard has his grubby hands on it. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, you know, as somebody who is a, a capital M, capital P music person, right? And somebody who teaches <laughs> teaches kids, um, you know, about music and to create music, what do you make of this idea about like listeners feeling ownership? Like obviously a song can't belong to someone. I mean, except right. when they do. Like right, because people own the rights to things. But <laughs> right, but, except for like the whole legal aspect. Of <laughs> exactly. It. But the listener isn't doesn't own it. Yeah. 
I mean, people make such strong connections to to music in their in their own ways, and they do. They develop this sense of ownership over what they're listening to and what speaks to them. And I think, especially if you're a person that has grown up kind of independently, like yeah. Quill did, um, you know captured by a group of people that he's you know resentful towards he doesn't want to really be a part of that group and it this is all he has and now he's now he's in prison with a bunch of people that he also doesn't know like it's the only it's that's his home yeah. it's his, his walkman and, and his songs and that those those songs from his mother it's it's huge yeah so then kind of the continuation of that scene right so they obviously we get some more character moments and their scenes in prison but when they do have this opportunity to escape, Peter obviously refuses to leave with the others until he gets mm-hmm. his Walkman back, right? And he won't tell them. Uh, and he even takes, they had the orb in their possession, but he even takes it with him because he doesn't want them you know, to leave without him. Obviously, he wants to escape. And um, I like right. that moment because the song, when he goes in back into where the guard is to take his Walkman back, the song that he's listening to the guard is Escape, the Pina Colada song. And yeah, <laughs> that's a song that I think, you know, they're right there again, they're playing these these jokes where sometimes the song is so unexpected in tone <laughs> yeah. or in lyrics. And then here, this song is actually called Escape, even though people don't right. know it by that title as much. So I thought that right. was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I did not. I did not know that the song was actually called Escape until I went to search it and so I could listen to it. And um, I learned that it's actually called Escape with, you know, the Pina Colada song in parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think if you just know it as a Pina Colada song, it feels really out of place. But like we said before, the whole movie does a good job of not taking itself too seriously. And I think this is a perfect example. The Guardians are actually escaping the film here <laughs> and um, Gunn found a way to be literal, but also kind of playful with yeah, that song. Definitely. I thought that was a great choice. And that's a song that like, I really like. <laughs> I listened to that song probably more than the more than you'd expect, and that was one too where I was like, "Huh, there may even be some lyrics here that are connecting because you kind of have, you know, that song is the lyrics there are are a narrative right about this person who is um getting kind of uh, complacent maybe in his uh-huh. romantic relationship and then is like, you know, seeking someone else and then it turns out in the end that he actually comes back to the woman he was with in the beginning um yeah plot twist i i didn't even realize that because i've i've heard the song a thousand times yeah but i've never really listened to the lyrics except for the part about if you like <laughs> and, and so i was actually reading through the, the lyrics and i'm like oh so they so they didn't want to be with each other but then they found their way back to each other and isn't that kind of like guardians of the galaxy like they're just a ragtag group of people who kind of ended up together but in the end they form this nice little group and and they they, it seems to work for them there's even a line in it where it says we'd been together too long like a worn out recording of a favorite song right so the Mm. the um simile is there yeah which also (laughs) the fact that peter quill's mixtape has survived for so long I know. <laughs> <laughs> While he's battling like all of these creatures and getting into fights and and you know exploring all of these planets, I don't right. know about the realism of that. 
How many times have you been like just doing something simple, like washing the dishes and you have your headphones in and you rip them out of your ears and your phone goes flying across the room? I mean, that had to have happened to his Walkman at least once or twice. Seriously. And the, and the cassette tape itself, right? Yeah. Like how easy those yeah. things, you know, they become unraveled. I was just going to comment on mixtape. Yeah. And just in general. Yeah, I mean, do you remember when people would make each other mixtapes? It it could be your from your best friend or or your crush, and there in in Peter's case, his mom. I mean, their song choices told you so much about them, and also how they saw you and your taste. It's a it's a really intimate and and revealing gift. A mixtape. Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up because I was the person who in high school and college and beyond, and it wasn't tapes for me based on my experience and how old I am, but it was CDs um, that we mm-hmm. would burn mix CDs for each other or for friends, for, you know, people that you might want to date <laughs> or are, are dating. Yep. And then, you know, over time in my experience, it became, you know, an iTunes playlist that you would share, um, a Spotify playlist, whatever it may be, right? But that art mm-hmm. of curating songs yep. is so, it can be so intentional and so intimate, as you said, and it works on so many levels. It tells you about the person who is, you know, choosing and gifting those songs and then it tells you about the relationship um or what you know that relationship might might be so yeah and there there's that that sweet scene between quill and gamora where he yes. tells Gamora that his mom made him the tape and they're all songs she loved growing up and you know it shows that he misses his mom of course and, and probably his old life and he's you know like we said before he's pretty salty towards Yandu for ripping away from from Earth, and this is all he has left in connection to that life. And then, and then he he lets Gamora in on it, which is you know I we don't know his past. He might have done that with other with other girls. We don't know, but <laughs> he he let her in, you know, yeah. and he he let her in that to that that intimate and revealing gift that that his mom gave. Yeah, because it really is. And and Peter is this character who seems very guarded and very like, you know, that's like, well, yeah, I'm like this, this cool guy or like this tough guy. Uh-huh. And like, you know, he's, I, you know, he definitely like brags as if like he's, you know, been with a lot of girls and like, you know, like he's a little emotionally detached. But I think that says a lot about him. It, it must have been a big moment, right? If, if, if we're pretending for a second, this is a real person, right? That would be a really right. big moment to, to say to somebody, that would be. here's why these songs are so important to me. And, you know, that very, like, as you said, it's a very sweet, intimate moment when like he puts the headphones on her mm-hmm. um, so that she can listen to it. Yeah. And, and the song that's playing is fooled around and fell in love, which I feel like is so, is so perfect here. That's a really strong moment. So I actually have a, a little um, anecdote about about a, a mixed tape. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Okay. Is, is now a good time? Now it's perfect. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit a little bit of a tangent, but I remember I found a burned CD on the side of the road by my mailbox. And I was probably like 14 or so. You know, somebody must have just flung it out the window or something as they were driving. So it was it was a burn CD, definitely a mix someone made, um, about 10 songs on it. And I don't remember all of them, but I remember Bread's 
Make It With You, Wild oh, Thing. Yeah, Touch Me by The Doors, that uh, John Hyatt song, Have a Little Faith in Me. And, um, and then my favorite, a song I had never heard before. Well, I had never heard any of those songs before, but um, the first one, the first track on this on this burned CD uh, was Maybe I'm Amazed. Oh, so cool. I had never heard that song before. Of course, I'd heard of the Beatles and Paul McCartney, but I didn't recognize his voice. And objectively, I was like, wow, this is a great song. <laughs> this guy's voice is awesome, which, you know, that tracks because people people like the Beatles and Paul McCartney. So just as like a 14-year-old having no exposure um, to Paul McCartney, I picked the CD off like literally off the side oh, of the road. So cool. Yeah, and and it makes me think like what could we tell about the person who made this mixtape? They were, you know, they were into late 60s early 70s music um clearly. And did they did they make it for somebody? Was it a gift? Is that did they break up or their friendship ended? That's where they flung it out yeah. of the car window and it landed up by my mailbox, you know. Wow. And then for me, as, as the lucky recipient, um, as a fourteen-year-old who was listening mostly to Britney Spears and In Sync, um, as a as a result, I, I bought a Doors CD. I definitely had a new appreciation and understanding for Paul McCartney. My, my mom listened to the song and was like, oh, that's that's Paul McCartney. Wow. Um, and it really just opened me up to this whole other world. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really cool. <laughs> it's that's so cool. Yeah, it was right? it was like your way into different genres and artists. And that's really, really cool. I had it's not as good of a story because it's not as personal. But I had a similar experience in that I went to like a a library sale with Kat a couple of years ago in Peekskill and they had a a bucket of CDs that were like, you know, 50 cents. And there was one. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it was even less. I'll be honest with you. I can't remember, but I I actually just pulled up the picture of it on my phone because I couldn't remember um, exactly what it was called, but it was, um, you know, one of those crystal, those, um, what are those? gel cases i don't know what they're called those clear mm-hmm. one of those clear cases and jewel cases jewel cases there it is thank yeah. you <laughs> and this person had basically printed off of the computer a track list and yeah. um you know put it in the front so that it's the cover and uh the there's 11 tracks on it and the title of it is Heidi Mix 1 and mm-hmm. i remember having kind of similar to what you were describing like So I bought it (laughs) because it was a great list of songs. It's like New Order, Matthew Sweet, Jamiroquai, Weezer, Radiohead. Amazing. And I was like, not that I didn't have access to these songs, but like just I really wanted the experience of listening to them through like this and like thinking about who the heck is Heidi? Who made this? It's Heidi Mix 1. Okay. Where are the other Heidi Mixes? (laughs) Put out a call. (laughs) Yeah. So. Three. Yeah, it's that same kind of thing, right? Making you wonder, like, how did that one you found end up on the side of the road, right? You can create these mm-hmm. these stories. Um, how did Heidi Mix end up there, right? Like, you know, was it was it given to Heidi, and then you know she decided to get rid of it because it reminded her of something, or you know, who knows? Um, right, right. But, I love it. I mean, Heidi, if you're out there, we want answers. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> we finally get the answer. Where is Heidi mixed two through? Who knows? I love that. Thank you for sharing. All right. So do you have a favorite moment 
uh, favorite music moment in the movie? So I did like the Pina Colada song. Um, I, I like that scene. We already talked about that, but it kind of ties into you had asked you know, what what um, if any of the the music moments undermined the story or yeah. the characters, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of also connected to my favorite my favorite use of the music. I was really hooked on a feeling while the Guardians are getting processed at the kiln. It just it just really seemed out of place. Yeah. Right. But I do have a theory. Ooh. So the scene is is pretty disturbing. There's the tasing, the hose mm-hmm. down. They're marching through a, a scary and depressing prison. We also catch a glimpse of Rocket's back, showing scars from all the experiments that were done on him. Yeah. And I think the, I think the scene would have just been way too heavy without this bright, poppy music in the background. Yeah. Gunn was able to give the audience a ton of heavy information in the scene without leaving us all, you know, completely depressed. So, so it didn't feel like it fit, but it was also my favorite, my favorite use of, of music in the movie for those reasons. That's really, really interesting. I think, I think you're right. I think that it feels very jarring in the moment because you don't know how to feel right. Like when you're seeing one thing yeah. and then you're hearing something else. But it kind of reminds me too. I know you had brought this up to me a while ago where and and forgive me if I'm if I'm butchering what this really is so you can clarify it. But um you do something okay. with students, right? Where you have them like put happy music on a sad part or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So we do this exercise where well it's it's kind of a two-part thing, but I intro it by I show a movie scene, you know, comedy, action, horror, whatever. And we swap out the original music for something completely different. If it's horror, we put in some silly music or a comedic scene gets sad music and it it totally changes the mood and the message of, of the scene. Mm. Um, just just swapping out the, the soundtrack or, or the music. And then the second part of that project is then the kids choose their own trailer or a scene from a movie. Um, and then they they write a score using GarageBand to put um, behind oh, sick. Yeah. that that scene. Yeah, and it's they can add sound effects. They they can choose to put sad music in a comedy. You know, however, whatever you know, whatever speaks to them, they can do it. But then then we'll watch the original and we'll watch them and vice versa, and we kind of compare and contrast and reflect. And it's just so amazing. Um, how it just changes the whole thing yeah. for the for the audience. Yeah, for sure. And like you were like uh, like what you were saying too, it's not that there's like a right or wrong way to do it, right? So like using something mm-hmm. like hooked on a feeling in that really heavy violent scene could seem very jarring at first, but then there's also there's also reasons behind it and it evokes a, mm-hmm. like you said it kind of lightens up what would have been a really heavy part of the movie um or if they had sometimes you know you go in a direction where you specifically juxtapose um you know two tones that don't match for humor's sake right or Uh you know just for the sake of having irony right so um i think that's really really interesting and i would love some time to see what what the kids come up with because i'm sure they interpret things in in totally different ways that are really fun they sure do and it's, <laughs> it's often like way more creative than anything I could ever come up with um you know and, and for our purposes we are we are talking about how the music is guiding the story or what the music means within the storyline but 
the great thing about music also is that sometimes it can just be music for music's sake, right? And it doesn't always have to, it doesn't always have to mean something. Yes. Well, and I love that you brought that up too, because I think one of the kind of funny kind of tongue in cheek, like the jokes on you type of things with this movie in particular, right, is that Sure, I think there's lots of reasons why certain songs were chosen for certain moments, and sometimes they're super effective, sometimes maybe not as effective, sometimes they're effective in ways that you wouldn't expect. But then I started thinking, because I was thinking about the scene where Peter Quill is facing off with Ronan the Accuser, the villain of the <laughs> film, and he starts singing, ooh, child, things are going to get easier, and it's so stupid, yeah. kind of, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they drop out. Yeah any of the background noise too, right? So you're not even hearing anything yeah. else. It's just him singing, you know, kind of off key. And, you know, this villain who's been so serious and dramatic music behind him the whole time is like, you know, taken aback by it. And um, he asks him what he's doing, or I don't remember exactly the line that Ronan says. And he, Peter says that he's distracting him, that it's a distraction yeah. technique. Yeah. <laughs> well, I started thinking about like the, the jokes on us, right? The music has been a distraction technique all along. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's so true. I didn't <laughs> even think of that. Yeah. It's and it, it's but also just the um the choice of the song there. I don't know, does it mean anything? Ooh child, things are gonna get easier. Like where is it just because it's a song from the seventies and that's the theme of his mixtape, or is he like <laughs> fake comforting, you know, this super villain, like, oh, child, it's going to get easier, but then also distract. I mean, it's all just, so, it was very funny. It, it was is. All just so it's good. very funny. I mean, but we can go a little bit dark here and say that, you know, things are going to get easier. Things are going to get brighter. I mean, you know, his mom died of seemingly, you know, cancer or something that she would have been sick with for a while. Right. So if we know right. that she gifted this mixtape to him and then like a song like that, would take on a very emotional weight of like, I'm yeah. you know, telling my son, you know, it's going to get easier. Things are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, meanwhile, like <laughs> however many years later, he's singing it to this villain. Like, is that, you know, that character's way of coping with this? Like, it's really kind of interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure when his mother put this mixtape together for him, she never imagined that her child would be presenting it you know the song in a fake dance off to Ronan yes, <laughs> you know exactly she, she just thought she was offering him some gentle comfort through music yeah yeah absolutely but yeah I, I was playing with that that idea about the music being this distraction technique um because again right this this movie here um you know when I said earlier I'm not sure if it's quote unquote good you know i think i was just kind of referring to the <laughs> fact that it it it's it's a joke a joke on this genre right um, yeah. and in a way you actually have to be quite clever and, um, in order to do that successfully, it, it actually takes a, a lot of talent. So, you know, in that way it is good. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it all depends on what you're, how you're measuring it. Right. But I do think that there is something to this idea of the emotional response that music gets out of you. Like we were talking about with the beginning when the, you know, the credits are playing and, and their score and he's walking, you know, on this planet, but then he turns on the Walkman, come and get your love, boom, Guardians mm -hmm. of the Galaxy in huge letters on the screen. I'm in, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've been eased into mm -hmm. it. It's fun. And then at the end, and I know that there are also that there's the post-credit scenes, but I don't know who can walk out of a movie theater where you just saw a little tree <laughs> character who's <laughs> <laughs> was so cute dancing to so Jackson cute. 5 like I want you back like that song you know you don't get more so fun cute. than that 
No, you don't. No, <laughs> I will name my next my next child's name is Groot because I I just love Groot and Baby Groot and I'm hooked. Like so cute. I think ba- Baby Groot came before Baby Yoda, right? Like that yes. was the that was the OG. That's right. Yeah, Groot is fantastic. And when I named the episodes of the podcast. I, uh, for like the first season, because I was really trying to focus on identity, all of the episode titles are a quote from the film, but they are a quote beginning with I. And so what I'm going to do for Mm. season two is they're still quotes from the film, but they're going to be quotes beginning with we. So because my shift now is into like more of these team up movies. So so I'm definitely going to name this. We are Groot. Yep. (laughs) But yeah, Groot is so is so so cute. Um, and you'll, if, if you do watch the second one, um, you'll appreciate the, the baby Groot in the second one. And then I'll, I'll sort of spoil for you as these characters show up in later films in the MCU that are more of the crossover films. Um, mm-hmm. Baby Groot g- graduates into a teenage Groot. <laughs> oh no, is he sulky and angsty? Yeah, so he's like sulking in his, you know, spaceship chair playing video games. <laughs> And like, you know, like saying things like, oh, I'm Groot. And then like, you know, they understand his language. So they're like, watch your language, you know, because you're supposed right. to, you're meant to think that teenage Groot is like, you know, being a jerk. But Right. That's awesome. I will definitely, I will definitely be watching. That's pretty the, funny. The second one. Can't wait. Pretty funny. But yeah, again, you know, I feel like joke's sort of on you, but then also like you enjoy it, right? Like I, I remember, you know, you can't, especially in a theatrical experience, if you're hearing I want you back. And you're, you feel good and you're seeing baby Groot and then you leave and you're like, yeah, I had a great time. It was a great movie. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> well, there's one more story point I want to touch on. And yeah. that is how much the character of Peter Quill actually grows in this movie. And we're talking about this is a team up movie and all of these characters are important, but he is our POV character, right? Um, so mm-hmm. he's the one that we're really learning the others we're learning about him and the others in relationship to each other but he um if anyone does in this movie he seems to have a bit more of an arc i think that that is really present in you know the first scene when he's a little boy um he won't take his mother's hand you know as she's Uh as she's dying but then later on um he well there's a couple moments right when gamora has been thrown out of the spaceship by her sister Nebula and she's floating and she's going to die, right? He um, yeah. he goes and he faces that reality of, of, you know, maybe being close to somebody who might be dying and, of course, is willing to risk himself there to a certain extent, right? Like, he did call Yondu, so maybe he, he realized Yondu was going to come and get them, but he, you know, he gave her his helmet. And yeah, there were, there were no guarantees. He didn't know if they were going to get there in time for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that works to showing their connection. And, you know, obviously, there's a bit of a romantic connection with those two characters. But you're also getting Mm -hmm. throughout the movie, you get the whole team of the characters getting closer and moving from basically a a team that came out of convenience or necessity, right? Mm -hmm. We all kind of want the same thing for different reasons. We have our own motivations, but we're going to kind of begrudgingly work together to, of course, then at the end, they're all holding hands, right? So when he is being overtaken by the power stone and Gamora says, take my hand now, right? That call Mm -hmm. back to his mother that I kind of wish they didn't show on on screen. Sometimes I wish that they um, let the viewer remember. Figure it out. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I mean, you know, there are kids watching and, (laughs) (laughs) 
you know. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, though. It would be nice if we could have made that connection ourselves. But yes. we really wanted to make sure that, that the audience didn't, didn't miss that. Yes, didn't um, forget. Again, they, <laughs> and they, they were all kind of a bunch of loners, except for Groot and Rocket were kind of working as a team before yeah. this. But um, yeah, you definitely see a huge growth with with Quill, but really everybody, because now they're, I mean, Gamora was the epitome of independent, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to even get away from from Ronan and Thanos. And right now she now she's ended up she's found she has found a group and she was even willing to potentially risk her life by reaching out her hand. And yeah, I don't know. Did she know that, um, you know, the group could all absorb that power and channel it? Or was it possibly, uh, you know, a death sentence for them all? But yeah. they all went into it, you know, without really questioning it. Yeah, she left what seems to be you know, analogous to a, an abusive family situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of uh, be in, you know, choose a, a chosen family, right? Um, yeah. You yeah. know, she even says to him, because Peter says, oh, you know, Yandu was the only family I had, right? Again, that kind of like, if you're forced into a family situation mm-hmm. that um, is not necessarily the most positive or supportive, right? And then she says to him, no, mm-hmm. right? That um, implying that this is their new family. And they all have that moment too of of calling each other friends. Um, <laughs> like there was one part that they suggest to us that Groot was the one who said it, right? Because Rocket says, Rocket's the only one who understands Groot <laughs> in this movie. Um, and yeah. Rocket says, ah, I know they're the only friends we've ever had, right? And like, you know, <laughs> you can know that Groot's thinking it too. So um, so yeah, I, I, that works for me. I mean, I, I, like, I like the team in this movie where character like peter quill i wouldn't necessarily you know he wouldn't be my favorite of the characters that we interact with in this marvel cinematic universe you know he's fine but i like him so much more in relationship to these other characters and i think gamora is great um we get more character development for gamora in subsequent films um she doesn't completely develop here too much um, but we, we get just enough of Rocket and Groot that we get a sense of their personality. And of course, Drax, um, is mm-hmm. a lot of comic relief. Um, so I, yeah. to me, I think it works, it works really well in that way. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really talk about Drax, but he was one of my favorites. I mean, I loved when we kind of first met him and he was taking everything so literally and, <laughs> yes. um, Quill was doing the, you know, the finger across the neck as a symbol for you're going to kill him basically and I mean it's just the whole exchange is so goofy yeah nothing goes over my head my reflexes are too fast (laughs) yes yes, exactly so funny It's great. It's fantastic. Um, if you watch the the next one too, there's another character who ends in, who gets introduced, and her name is Mantis, and she okay. is also like a total weirdo um, who interacts really funny that. with with Drax. So awesome! Can't <laughs> wait. Kick out of that. All right. Before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to comment on anything that we may have missed, whether it's music related or character related or any other just funny thoughts that you had or questions that you had about the movie. Um, you know, I think the only thing that I would want to say, and this is, I'm not saying anything new, everybody knows this, but the music is, it's so special because it really, you had mentioned me coming on the podcast and my first reaction was, um, I have no connection to Marvel or any of this stuff. And, but then the second you said music, I was in, it just, it just goes to show that, that you can that music helps you connect to things and to your own emotions and even something that 
a world that I wouldn't normally be interested in. Um, not only had me really enjoying, you know, really enjoying this this film because of the music, but now I'm actually going to watch more. I would have I would have never expected that. Yeah. So it just speaks to how powerful and special music is. I love it. And I totally agree. And I thank you so much for uh, being on this with me. And I enjoyed hearing your stories and your insights. And uh, thank you for having me. This was awesome. If you enjoyed this conversation about Guardians of the Galaxy, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at Illustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening and join me next time for We're the Avengers a discussion of 2015's Avengers Age of Ultron.